You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hello, I'm Teresa McKee, your host for A Mindful Moment. Thank you for joining me as we explore ways to increase mindfulness in our day-to-day experiences. Mindfulness is presence, awareness. It's paying attention to what's happening within us and around us. Mindfulness increases our emotional, physical, and mental well-being. It can also enhance our focus and productivity, and there are many health benefits from practicing mindfulness and meditation, from lowering blood pressure to increased longevity. Perhaps most importantly in today's chaotic world, mindfulness strengthens our ability to be more compassionate to ourselves as well as others. I'm sure, like you, I continue to see people behaving in ways that clearly indicate that they have unmet needs. But sometimes it's challenging not to feel discomfort in these situations. I observed a very rude customer in the checkout line at the grocery store this week, and as if his behavior about his purchases wasn't bad enough for the clerk, the man was also not wearing a mask which is mandated here. Being next in line... I tried to be empathetic to the store clerk, but he was so angry he could not feel it. Then he ethnically slurred the customer who had left, and I was left somewhat speechless. He was definitely too angry to hear anything I might say about how ethnicity wasn't the issue, so I was just relieved that my items were checked, in the bag, and ready to go. We all need to check our mental health, considering the times that we've been living through, and we all need as many tools and techniques to utilize as possible in order to counteract the fear, stress, anxiety, and wide range of emotions we're experiencing. Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, or ACT, is a psychological intervention that uses acceptance and mindfulness strategies together with commitment and behavior change strategies to increase psychological flexibility. Psychological flexibility means contacting the present moment consciously and based on whatever the situation is, changing or persisting in behavior in the service of chosen values. Dr. Patricia E. Zarita Ona, known as Dr. Z., is a licensed clinical psychologist originally from Bolivia and runs a boutique therapy practice specializing in getting people unstuck from worries, obsessions, fears, and anxieties. 
She is a passionate proponent of ACT. Welcome, Dr. C. It's so nice to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Yeah, I'm very interested. Now, I know that you have several books out, and I think you have a brand new one out, which we can talk about in a few minutes. But before we get started, I'd like you to share for our listeners who don't know, what is acceptance and commitment therapy? You know, I feel I can go like 10 hours and maybe (laughs) days and weeks talking about what acceptance and commitment therapy is. But for the purpose of our conversation, I will say that acceptance and commitment therapy act or acceptance and commitment training is behavioral and mindfulness approach that invites everyone to get in touch with what's truly important to us, our personal values, to take action to live those values, and to make room for all the uncomfortable, yucky, and annoying thoughts, feelings, and sensations we have when doing what is important to us. If I can give an example, perhaps, one of my values is to disseminate ACT skills, in particular applied to fear-based struggles like anxiety, worry, panic, perfectionist procrastination. But as I live this value, I try to have podcast interviews, or I sometimes write, or I give some talks. And when I'm taking any of those actions, when I'm giving a talk or presenting, there is a little bit of butterflies in my stomach that comes. And then my mind says, oh my goodness, this is the end of your career. No one is going to listen to what you're saying. You you don't sound smart enough. So within ACT, the approach is looking back again, why do I want to do this? And that's my value, to disseminate and spread a word about ACT skills for fear-based struggles. The action is to have this podcast interview, give a presentation. And when doing that, I am learning and applying ACT skills to make room for all that physical sensation and for all those thoughts that are coming my way. So that's in a nutshell how ACT looks like in our day-to-day life. Great. And it's very in alignment with mindfulness, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you're checking in to see what's going on with your body, what thoughts you're having, that's exactly what we do in mindfulness. So I think most of our listeners will definitely get that. Could you give us an example of maybe how someone could use ACT if they're feeling anxious? Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on now. People are feeling anxious again. So maybe what's a simple thing someone could start to practice to deal with that, to to maybe ease it a little bit? Yeah, yeah. There are so many tips or ACT skills, um, but perhaps something that a person can start applying is to notice when they are having an anxious experience. Notice how that starts in their body and what emotions starts in our body. So notice what the body is coming up with. Give a name to that sensation. Usually that's going to give the name of an emotion. Zoom out a little bit and ask yourself, what is this emotion pushing me to do? And then you may want to go act style and ask yourself, if I take that action, if I do that thing, is that helpful for me to be the person I want to be? Or does it take me farther away? So that will be, I think, a very, you know, tiny, tiny micro skill, as I call it, to live and practice act. Always going back to your values and looking at what works in that particular context, in that particular situation. I like that, you know, really tying it to values, not just maybe avoiding discomfort in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. What if someone has never identified their values? 
in my work, sometimes I have heard that and also my personal life, I have heard like, I don't know what is important to me. And reality is that we don't live our lives stepping back and checking how am I living my life? Am I the person I want to be? Am I showing up to my partner as I want to be in a relationship? <laughs> it's not a traditional question. My invitation will be to do an inventory of those moments in which a person felt engaged and revitalized, and you were totally into either a conversation you were having or a project you were participating in, and just see what's behind that. Why is this particular activity special to me? Why do I feel engaged when I'm doing X, Y, and Z? So there are so many moments in which you are really, really engaged. So do an inventory of those moments. That will be a good start. And also you can tap into your values by looking at the things that hurt, whether that's, for example, sometimes we experience moments of rejection, or we feel that we are not good enough, or we feel that we fail. So another way to tap into into our values is by asking ourselves, what's behind that hurt? That moment that I'm really, really hurting right now, what's behind that? Why is that so important to me? What's the thing that matters to me about how I want to be in the world that is my value? Well, I think that's excellent. I actually have the same question come up even when I ask someone what they want. A lot of times people don't know what they want. And sometimes it is easier to ask them what they don't want. Yes. It's like you're saying, we look at the stuff that you're not enjoying because it gives that contrast to help clarify maybe what you do want or what you do value. Exactly. Fantastic. Yeah, if I can add a little bit, I think sometimes when also asking that question about values, there is a confusion between values and goals. For example, right, people may say, well, I want to become a mother or I want to publish five books. So the question is, if you became a mother, how do you want to show up to maternity? What's the quality you want to live as a mother? If you write five books, what type of writing or what's the quality you want to have in your writing? What type of author do you want to be? So I think that's always going back again to the quality that we want to live by and be remembered for in anything that we do, right? And I think another confusion is that sometimes, and that's a human thing to do, we think that values is about having more or less of feelings, I want to be less anxious and I want to be super happy all the time. But our emotions are things that come and go up and down. And our values are more, again, this quality that we want to have in life. So if any person, when asked themselves the question, what's important, what's my value? They say, well, I want to be happy. The question I will have for them will be, if you were to be happy, what will you be doing more or less in your life? And behind those activities, what speaks to you that you really, really want to stand up for? What's the quality that really speaks to you? Beautiful. And I also really like what you said about moving closer or farther away from your values. I know we use the term an inner guidepost. So that's Mm -hmm. where your values reside. And I've said the same thing. Instead of saying something is good or bad, when you're making a decision, ask the question, is it moving you closer? to that inner guidepost, what it's saying or further away. So it's the same concept. And I think that makes it clearer that you're looking at a bigger picture. Again, not just in this moment, but in the value or the quality of how you're living your life. 
I, I love what you're saying on the sense that our mind naturally, as a, you know, as it's supposed to be doing, is going to classify things good and bad, right? Healthy and healthy. But I think let's remember that our task is to zoom back a little bit and zoom out and see what really helps me to be who I want to be. That's what I love about ACT, right? It's not a rigid approach. It's very flexible, but also help us to disengage from responding to thinking with more thinking or dwelling into every single emotion we have, right? There are feelings that come and go. There are feelings to let from, and there is a lot of feelings to let go. So I think when we ask ourselves, does it help me to be who I want to be in this moment? That's a very different question versus checking, I, I don't want to have this bad feeling or this bad thought, right? Absolutely. I know you've been promoting ACT as far as an effective method mm -hmm. for overcoming a lot of these things like anger and fear, and you've written workbooks, right? Mm -hmm. So if someone is interested in learning about ACT, but they don't want to go to a therapist to do it, this is a practice someone can start learning to work with and experience and experiment maybe with on their own, right? That is correct. My work has been primarily focused on the application of acceptance and community skills for anxiety or fear-based struggles like procrastination, perfectionism, OCD, all types of anxiety. And many of the self-help books that are out there within the ACT community have been researched. So people are constantly doing studies to look at the efficacy and how effective they are. It's a, in, I think the ACT community is a very alive community and very research-based. And um, so I, I think that any person grabbing these books, they will have a sense of how ACT can be applied. And then also will have a program. If they walk chapter by chapter, they will have a program of how to practice these skills in a progressive way, in a way that is relatable and doable as well. Great. How do you encourage people who buy a book, they buy your workbook, and yeah. then they, how do you get them to do the exercises versus reading it and putting the book back on the shelf? Do you have any suggestions? You're asking a very, very important question. In my last book, the book Living Beyond OCD, I wanted to do something that really emphasized that change it starts by reading, but a lot of change happens by practicing, living and experiencing and seeing how it goes and what works. So in the book, after two sections, I invite the readers, put the book down, close the book, don't read any other chapter, don't read any other page, and just give yourself a break of two, three weeks to really go back to the micro skills you have been learning. Based on anecdotal experience from people that have read the book, they follow that. Because I think it's easy with workbooks to go on and on. And because we want to have a quick fix when we are struggling and we are feeling anxious and sad, of course, we want to have like a quick fix and we want a band-aid right away. The challenge is that real change doesn't work like that. It does take time. It's a process. And so in the last book, I literally, I add that, that chapter to say, let's take a break, give yourself a break from everything to capitalize and invite people to give themselves the time and the permission to put a book down and experience and be curious of their experience versus rushing through the book. Thank you. The reason I ask that is because I get this all the time. I recommend a lot of books to my clients. And yeah. many of them will have like a chapter and then an exercise and yeah. I'll assign them like, you know, I want you to go from chapter one through three in this book. And then when we have our next session, I'll say, okay, let's talk about your experience with the book. It's really very common for them to say, well, I read it all and it sounded great. Did you do the <laughs> exercise? And they're like, no, not yet. And it's like, okay, no, stop. Because you have to do the work. 
And I get it. I understand. But if you don't do the work, you're not getting the benefit of what this person has put together for you that can really help. So thank you for sharing that. Exactly. Yeah, it happens a lot. And I totally relate to what you are sharing. If I can add a little bit, what I have found in the work with my clients is that after I assign, let's say, a chapter and exercise for them to practice, then the next session, we start there. We still there. We do it together again to see how, how it goes, because I, I get it. Life gets in between. So much happens. I think the other micro tip has been inviting people to keep track of their own progress. It doesn't have to be paper and pencil. There are many ways in which we can keep track of how we are moving in certain directions. For example, in any office I have, I always have a whiteboard and I have three little lines. And every month, basically, I'm checking how I'm living my relationships, my career and personal growth. And I put a little mark every single month, right? Like, no, it's very discreet. But also for some of my clients, for example, they keep track of how many exercises they're practicing by moving pennies from one jar into another one. Something private, they're the only one that they know, right? So I think tracking how much we are progressing or practicing also helps with motivating ourselves and making a public commitment. When we tell either a therapist or a coach or our friends, I am going to work this week on this exercise. Can you check on me next week? Also helps, right? Uh, those are just tiny things I will add, but I know I get it many times, you know, we have to ultra encourage practice. <laughs> Absolutely. I really appreciate that because I do think sometimes an accountability partner helps. Because if you're just on your own, you think, well, nobody knows that I'm not doing it. You know what I mean? And then it's a disservice to ourselves, not to anybody else if we don't do it. So I was also thinking even maybe the exercises would be one of those things to zoom out on and ask yourself, are you moving towards your values or away? Because your value and your worth enough to humanity that if you are trying to develop something, then dedicating that little bit of time. It usually doesn't take that much time. You can do short exercises or, you know, as long as you're consistent and it's kind of got a cumulative effect. So I like that. That is true. I saw that you have a podcast. Yes. Yes. It's called playing it safe. Yes. And what's your podcast about who would want to listen to it? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, the podcast is a baby project for me. Um, It was born in the midst of COVID given that COVID limit every single thing we were doing and the books I was working on got delayed and I had to postpone online class. Um, so the podcast was born in the midst of that, navigating through COVID and wrestling also, how can I put active skills out there? So the podcast focuses on the application of active skills primarily and affective science and neuropsychology for fear-based struggles. When I'm thinking about fear-based struggles, there are many, many day-to-day experiences we do have that are related to fear. But fear has a bad branding, right? People don't talk too much about, I'm afraid. We talk about, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I'm feeling overwhelmed. But basically, in my work, I have identified 10 different ways in which people play it safe. The academic name is safety-seeking behaviors, and that may show in procrastination, perfectionism, avoidance, overthinking, right? Responding to thinking with more thinking. Discounting what I really need, I'm prioritizing other needs, criticizing myself in a very harsh way, responding to stories as if they are the absolute truth. If my mind tells me that I am not good enough, 
then I am going to develop different actions related to the imposter syndrome, for example. So there are 10 particular safety-seeking behaviors that really perpetuate cycles of avoidance, cycles of fear, and they have different names, perfectionist, procrastination. But behind each one of those labels, instead of having different books to read or different interventions or different therapies for each struggle, I am passionate about teaching people the skills they need to learn to tap into those processes because they may look like different, but there's actually a lot of overlap. Think of perfectionism, procrastination, or fears of public speaking and fears of performance or fears of this, making the poor decision. So the podcast is in teaching different skills that tap into these 10 different climate safe moves. I think the audience right now, it's really focused for any person that is walking on the street and they are struggling with some form of fear-based struggle. And that includes a mother that is afraid of her child that is African-American being shot, a firefighter that gets an emergency call and they are wrestling with their life, a surgeon that needs to perform a heart surgery and things could go wrong, a person that is afraid of choosing the wrong partner to get married with. So I am really interested in normalizing fear and anxiety-based struggles as part of our day-to-day life. In my podcast, I'm focusing primarily on how fear shows up day-to-day. So I think a person who is in therapy and a person that is not in therapy, they will all find something related to their day-to-day struggles. Because who doesn't experience some form of fear reaction in our day-to-day life? Right. Okay, that's great. So where can people find your podcast? Thank you. Um, it's called Playing It Safe. And we have it's available in Apple Podcasts, in Spotify. The website is playingitsafe.zone. That's that Z-O-N-E. Okay, wonderful. I just heard this morning that you have a new book out. What does the new book offer? My new book is it's on act skills for high achievers, people who are struggling with perfectionistic behavior and high achieving actions. Perfectionists can affect how I'm showing up to my friends, like I'm always trying to do and say the right thing so they don't reject me, how it shows up at work, how it shows up in my relationships with my partners, how it shows up in my role as a mother. So I think of perfection is more as a transdiagnostic process across many life domains, including how I'm living my spiritual life, how I'm living my faith. And what happens is that the whole metaphor of the book and my work uh, when working with high achieving behaviors is really tapping into a person's values. One of the things I encounter is that, as you mentioned, sometimes when we ask people the question, what's important to you, we don't know. In my case, working with clients who are high achievers, they're actually very clear of what's important to them. They're very, very clear. The problem is not that they don't know what matters. The problem is that they deeply care. And because they deeply care about what's important to them, of course, they want to do things right and perfect. So the whole book, it's really holding that frame. Of course, you want to get things right. Of course, you want to pay attention to details. Of course, it hurts when you, when you mess up. Of course, it hurts when someone criticizes what you do because you deeply care about it. The invitation is how can we help you to harness the power of those perfectionistic actions and high achieving behaviors without losing yourself? How can we help you to still do what is important to you with that precision, without attention to detail, without spending hours and hours stuck in your head at the end of the day and having sleeping problems? 
So I think it's a very compassionate approach, but it's really coming from that place of acknowledging that a high achiever, they deeply, deeply care. They don't have a values problem. It just happens that they are not distinguishing the price they are paying. And the other thing that I witness, and you may see this a lot, especially with entrepreneurs, is that not only they are really committed to make the world a better place, but also they know. They have here that perfectionism is bad, that they should stop uh, perfectionistic actions. I don't relate to those messages because I don't think in black and white or dichotomies. I think when I think of perfectionism, as many things, there is a continuum. So my approach is not demonizing that. But what I hear from my clients is that they know, they have here messages about how bad is perfectionism. They try to make a shift here and there. But what happens is that those behaviors, because they're value-based for them, they quickly bounce back and stronger. So in my work, what I try to do is really tapping more into the values in different areas, acknowledging what's really important, how much they care, and then checking from micro moments what works for them. I also deconstruct of the idea of work-life balance because that seems that we have to have 50% of life uh, activities and work activities. I talk about finding rhythms. Let's find a rhythm that is going to work for you this week and perhaps the next month or sometimes seasonal rhythms that we have, right? So it's really, I think the whole work that I do and, and the book reflects the idea that because you deeply care, of course you want to give it right. But let's check how it works. And if it's not working so well or you're paying a high price, what are the other micro skills that you need to learn to handle all that internal experience of not knowing, feeling bad about yourself, criticizing yourself, and all the other skills, time management, decision making, delegation of activities that you also need to learn. So that, that's the new book about. Fantastic. Well, I think this is a good time for people because there are a lot of people really reflecting on what their lives were like before and considering maybe making changes or changing their direction or maybe checking in with the values that they currently have and trying to see if they really align with who they want to be now. So I love that there is this framework that they can use to kind of work through these issues. I think almost everyone does. I agree with you. They have fear or anxiety every day about something. Yeah. And then we have those big uncertainties still that are all around us. So that right there generates anxiety, whether you want it to or not. This sounds uh, fantastic. And I really want to thank you for writing the book and sharing all this information that people can use for themselves, but they can also seek a therapist, right? If they wanted help outside support. Yeah, absolutely. The book is definitely, it can be a self-program, but also I do believe that the way that I think of, um, mental health or personal well-being is not just something to target when we are in crisis. So I think we all should have a therapist or we all should have a coach. I think it's important for our for our people that we love and for ourselves to create the spaces to bounce back and ideas and check how we're living life. And I think books can give us that. But of course, the conversation, the interaction you have with another person who is fully trained, it's incredibly powerful. I'm very grateful that we're living at a time in which we can talk about mental health and personal well-being. I cannot imagine how it was 50 years ago, all those messages. So I think we are doing better, but we all have to remember to, you know, to everyone that it is a natural thing to think of mental health and personal growth as we think of physical activities and physical exercising, right? It's just part of our day-to-day life. Right. It's part of our health. And I totally agree. Mental health has been ignored way too long. 
I also think that COVID has invited us to slow down, to slow yes. down and step back how we were living and how we want to move forward, what comes next to us. So I think I agree with you. I have witnessed the same that we are reflecting more as a society of what's happening with our well-being and we're willing to have the courage to talk about it. So I hope we don't lose that momentum. I hope it stays like that. Me too, definitely. Well, it was a pleasure meeting you and speaking with you today. And thank you so much for sharing all of this information for our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. I very much appreciate the work you're doing, disseminating resources for different people. And I appreciate that you took the time to chat with me and hear about ACT and my passion with ACT and the things I have been doing with it. (laughs) I can feel the passion and that's contagious. So thank you so much and stay well. Thank you so much. I really appreciated Dr. Z's passion about ACT and how we can really help ourselves through self-work or with a therapist or coach's support. We can't enjoy true well-being if our mental health is suffering. So if you're experiencing mental struggles, please consider taking steps to improve your situation. There are so many options now, from coaches to therapists, through in-person programs, online trainings, and telehealth visits. We have choices now that never existed before. So let's be grateful for them and accept them as viable options to improve our overall health and well-being. You can learn more about Dr. Z and her services on her website, thisisdrz.com, and you can find her podcast at playingitsafe.zone. You can watch our entire interview on our YouTube channel at work to live Until next time. We can live better lives and create a better world. All it takes to get started is a mindful moment. Meditation is the most effective technique to strengthen mindfulness. The key to experiencing the full benefits of this practice is to meditate every day, even if you start with just a few minutes and work your way up to 20 to 30 minutes per session over time. Consistency counts, and the benefits are cumulative. So be kind to yourself and meditate daily. We have guided meditations to help you get started at worktoliveproductions.com, but here are the instructions for a simple sitting meditation to get you started. Sit comfortably with feet flat on the floor and hands on your lap. Close your eyes or soften your gaze and begin noticing your breath. Breathe normally, paying focused attention to each in-breath and out-breath. Notice every detail from where you feel your breath in your body to the pace, depth, and temperature as the air moves in and out. Each time your mind wanders away from the breath, simply return your focus to the breath. It is in this noticing that you're building your mindfulness skills. Your mind may wander a hundred times in just a couple of minutes, and that's normal. Each time you notice, that's mindfulness. Work to Live's Dynamic Coaching Certification Program is a self-paced online course series that strengthens emotional intelligence and mindfulness skills, along with relationship building, communication skills, time management, self-motivation, and more. 
visit our website for an informational video on the program. You can also find resources for self and leadership development, as well as the latest books by authors we interview on this show. Go to worktoliveproductions.com slash book club to start shifting your quality of life today. And be sure to visit our YouTube channel at Work to Live, where you'll find videos of our interviews, animated shorts on daily living and working, guided meditations, and more. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee wherever you get your favorite podcasts and rate this podcast so that others can find us. Follow us on social media at Work to Live. A Mindful Moment is written by Teresa McKee. The English version is hosted by Teresa McKee and the Spanish version is translated and hosted by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, Meteorite Productions. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions. <laughs>